This morning I want to speak on the topic or subject of uh, a church on the move. And uh, just as a little fact information, uh, I want to just say to you that the St. Paul's Cathedral in London moves three centimeters down Fleet Street every hundred years. Three centimeters every hundred years. That's faster than many churches around the world are moving. There was an Anglican vicar who every single morning at a certain time at uh, 10.32, whatever he was doing, whether he was preparing a sermon, he was in a prayer meeting, in a counseling situation, at a staff meeting, he would stop at 10.20, uh, 10.32 and go and look out the window to watch the train fly past the Interstate 125 fly past. And one day, one of the members of staff rebuked him gently and said to him, why are you doing this? And he, he, he responded in this way, I like to see the only thing that moves in this parish without me having to push it. So I want to preach about a church that's on the move. It seems strange that God has blessed us with so many spiritual things and the, the outpouring of His Holy Spirit, and yet the church moves so slowly. We have His dynamic power in our lives, and we just don't move fast at all. At Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell on the early church, changed, radically changed the disciples' lives. They became effective witnesses for the kingdom of God, and thousands in a day turned to follow Jesus Christ. Radically changed. And we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. I wonder what Paul would do, the greatest missionary that ever lived. I wonder what Paul would do today if he had all our um, advantages with television, with radio, with airplanes, the transport that we have, the printing presses that we have, internet, Twitter, and Instagram. What do we would do without Instagram? <laughs> if he had all of those things, can you imagine how dynamic he would be? What he would be able to accomplish? Amazing. But we can't stand still in the Christian church. You know, the more we stand still, the more we gradually move backwards. We have to move forward in the church. Our churches have to be moving forward. But unfortunately, in many of the churches around the world, they've become comfortable museums. So I've got three things that I want to talk about this morning. And the first one is, Jesus said, go. Go. We need to take seriously the Great Commission. Within Josh Jen, Andrew was saying that there are more and more churches that are coming to be a part of uh, Joshua Generation Church and the 412 movement. We have uh, four churches in the next few months that are going to be starting within Joshua Generation. Uh, there's going to be a church at Paul. There's going to be a church at Hartenbos. There's going to be a church at Stillby. And, and, and another one close by that's going to be uh, an evening service is going to be starting. 
There are 280 plus churches that are connected to us in the 412. And there are about 150 waiting uh, in the wings to join us. They're busy looking into the situation. So within the next little while, there's going to be over 400 churches. If you're going to be a part of this movement, if you're going to be a part of this church, you're going to have to be ready to get up and to go. John, uh, John's Gospel, chapter 20 and verse 21, Jesus said this. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. This he said to the disciples. This he says to us. You know, the Father sent him, and he is sending us. He's sending us. The church is not a fellowship of the religiously inclined. It's much more than that. It's much more than a community of chorus singers. It's a society that is commissioned by Jesus Christ to carry on his ministry, to complete his work, and to make his redeeming love known to all mankind. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, Jesus said this, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Came to seek. Let me just stop there and concentrate on that. Whenever we see Jesus in the New Testament, he was out in the wilderness, in the spiritual wilderness, in the emotional wilderness, out in the wilderness, trying to draw people back to him. Whether it's the rich young ruler who came asking about salvation, whether it's the blind beggar crying out on the road in Jericho, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Whether it's the uh, woman of faith weeping at her brother's grave, whether it's the woman of ill repute that is weeping over her sins. Jesus was always out there trying to draw these people back to the point that the religious leaders of the day regarded Jesus as a friend of crooks and sinners and a glutton and a drunkard. Because he was just trying to draw them back. Jesus met with Zacchaeus, a tax collector. Really, you don't have anything to do with tax collectors. And Jesus said, tonight I'm coming to eat in your house. Then he conversed with a woman at the well. Don't do that. Jesus went and he touched the diseased flesh of the lepers. You don't do that. <laughs> and he associated with the riffraff of life. Tax collectors, fishermen. This is Jesus reaching out. And Jesus instructed his disciples. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. Go into the highways and the byways of life where men's hearts are broken by sorrow and their souls are scarred by sin, and take my love to them. Go. For us to be a church, we have to go. We have to use every opportunity. We have to use our opportunity at work, in the marketplace. We have to use our opportunity when we're in, in, in a social environment to speak about this wonderful person called Jesus. Always reaching out. And the second part of that says, the Son of Man came to save that which was lost. 
You know, Jesus commands us to be a saving church. The purpose of the church, the mission of the church is to save. Salvation is the great mark of Jesus' ministry. Jesus said in uh, John 12, 47, As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. To save it. And Jesus was forever lifting people into a new relationship with him. Changing their nature, molding their personalities, giving them a new status as children of God. He came to save. And the power of Jesus did not end. This work of salvation did not end at the cross, but it released it. It caused it to go out and to become available to all men. And that power has been changing lives for centuries. Bringing hope, bringing freedom, bringing dignity to millions and carrying on the work of the kingdom of God. Jesus defined his ministry by saying in Mark chapter 2 and verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I've come to seek and to save the lost. That's the ministry of the church. And Jesus says to us, go. Pull them in. Don't become so comfortable that you never invite anybody to church. Don't become so comfortable that you never ever speak the name of Jesus to people. At every opportunity, become embarrassing to the point where you say, I want to just share something with you. Have a prophetic word. Speak salvation into people's lives. You know, one of the things that I regret doing here in this church, you remember we had those ping pong balls and we were going to, every time somebody was, was and we, we, we didn't have enough space and they didn't want us to put it on top of the cage because it was dangerous, all these ping pong balls. I can imagine just hundreds of ping pong balls raining down on somebody who's walking around, <laughs> around in the storeroom. But we, we had to take them back. But, you know, it, it, when, we, when we have more space, better space, I'm going to have those ping pong balls back because it says to us, this picture of ping pong balls, and we write names of ping, on, on, on those ping pong balls, and when, then, then when somebody is converted, we take that name and we put it into this thing. But that says to us that our job is to go and to share the gospel. The second thing about a church on the move is to have leadership with vision. Leadership with vision. Somebody on a BBC interview said the only vision that should take place is only those who see the invisible do the impossible. Only those who see the invisible see the impossible. What is, what is your vision for your life? Do you know the vision of this church? Bill Heibel said, Vision is to paint a picture that produces hope and passion in your life. That's vision. Vision is absolutely essential. It's essential for every single leader. It's indispensable because vision leads the leader. It's the fire that fuels the leader. 
And it's the fire that's imparted into the lives of the followers, of the members of the congregation, that fuels them to follow the leader. Vision is the most important thing. Max Dupree in his book, Leadership is an Art, says the only kind of leadership worth following is based on vision. It's based on vision. It's absolutely essential. In Proverbs 29 and verse 18, where there is no revelation, where there is no vision, the people are cast off in restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Other translations say, where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, society perishes. Where there is no vision, the church perishes. Where there is no vision, leaders perish. Where there is no vision, you and I perish. See, what vision does also, it gathers resources. Because what it does, it sucks in those who have huge giftedness. It sucks in financial resources. It sucks in a whole lot of other resources behind it as it pushes ahead. It has the potential of attracting winners in the faith. John Maxwell said the, greatest, the greater the vision, the more winners it has the potential to attract. Also, vision is always for other people. Any kind of vision that we have as a church, any kind of vision for uh, organizations, corporate, marketplace organizations, it's always for other people. It's never for themselves. And when Paul had that vision uh, in the book of Acts in Macedonia, and he, he saw a man from Europe calling him, he knew that he had to go to Europe. He wasn't to, to go to the other, the other direction, to Asia, but he was to go to Europe. It was always for other people. And as we grow as a church, we know that it's only for other people. We as an organization are not for ourselves. We exist primarily for those who are not in this church. So what is the Josh Chen vision? Any takers? Do you want to know any takers of what the Josh Chen vision is? Okay, so I prepared it for you. Josh Chen vision is to live out authentic Christianity as a family of believers who passionately desire to lay down our lives for God and for one another. That's our vision, to live out authentic Christianity in accordance with the Bible. That's our, and you know what our mission statement is? Our mission statement is Acts 2, 42 to 47. So let's read that. This is the thing that gives us fuel. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer, Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's an interesting thing. The Lord added to their number daily. I mean, wouldn't you, if you were God, add to that number every single day? To live out authentic Christianity. You see, the first three words, this is the description of the early church, the first three words that describe the early church, they devoted 
themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, that's community, hospitality, sacraments, and to prayer. They devoted themselves. Wow. Those are very strong three words. They. That's all the believers. They devoted themselves. They were committed and dedicated all by themselves to those four things. To the breaking of bread, to prayer, to uh, the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship. You know, one of the most exhausting things, and I'm coming to the end of my ministry. I was just thinking last night, probably have another four years left. I'll probably continue. I'll probably preach until I'm not able to preach anymore or else I die suddenly. But I've got four years before I get to 66. Been here for almost three years. Got another four years left. So I would have been here for seven years building this little church up. And hopefully sometime next year we'll be uh, 200 people packed out in this place. And then we'll have to start somewhere else. Eh? They'll either have to do an evening congregation or uh, Gordon's Bay or Strand or uh, some people are saying, Hello. <laughs> God bless those from Hello. <laughs> One of the most exhausting things is trying to stir up the reluctance and to change reluctance into devotion. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And there are just churches that are just filled with reluctant followers. It's, it's exhausting. Trying to uh, uh, influence and persuade and coerce and manipulate people to be devoted. The early church, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. Wow, to try and get buy-in. People to give, to volunteer, to contribute, to stay, to help, to carry some responsibility. It's exhausting. But the early church says they were devoted. I thank God for the serious devotion of many of the members of this congregation. But unfortunately, I can't say all. <laughs> you know, do you know that 1,500 pastors leave the ministry around the world? The world's a big place. 1,500 pastors leave the ministry every month. They're just exhausted. 7,000 churches close their doors every year. 4,000 new churches start. But those 7,000 churches have just diminished, become depleted, and finally they have to close their doors. But praise God, 4,000 are starting up. John Wimber always used to say, it's easier to have babies than it is to resurrect the dead. And I kind of agree with that. And I thank God for those churches. 
But Bill Bright did a survey once. Bill Bright was the founder of Campus Crusade and Global Pastors, Pastors Network. And he said that 50% of pastors are so discouraged that they would love to leave the ministry, but they can't because they don't know any other way of living. He also said this, 70% of pastors are constantly in a fight against depression. How's this for a statistic? 80% of pastors who go through seminary and Bible college, they enter the ministry, 80%. Within five years, they found another job. Why? Why? Because if you had to take the first description of the early church and you had to take somebody into the 21st century, they would be flabbergasted and shocked because they devoted themselves doesn't exist. You see, so much of our, of our, of our devotion comes from the top down. But these guys say, guys, we want you to concentrate on the vision and the things and equipping us with the work of ministry to the point where you don't have to concentrate on our devotion. We are committed all by ourselves. And that's what happens. There was a Baptist minister who after 20 years of being at the same church got so fed up and burnt out uh, with reluctance with, his, with the reluctance of his people to plug in, to support, to show up at meetings, to give financially to the vision and the dreams that God had given him that uh, he decided that he was going to resign and uh, got worn out with church politics and the carnality of the church that you know, two steps, three steps forward and two steps back, and he decided, okay, I'm, I'm out of here. He'd gotten sick. His wife had gotten sick, and she was on antidepressant uh, medication. He wasn't sleeping at night, and uh, he was just thinking, for the massive effort that I'm putting in uh, and for the return that's coming from the congregation, I'm out of here. And he, he uh, became a pub landlord. And he, he, he loved his new position. He said, the drinkers that come, the drinkers are devoted all by themselves. They come early and they knock on the door before the pub is open. At night, he has to flash the lights and say last round of drinks and he has to literally kick them out because they're devoted all by themselves. And he loved his position. They, he went on to say that his, his drinkers were devoted to never stopping to put their hand in the pocket and buy a round of drinks for their friends. He said, I never saw that kind of generosity in the church ever. <laughs> and there are, there are people around the world that are just reluctant. I mean, it's killing the leadership of the church. And I thank God for the incredible devotion of so many of the members of uh, Josh Jen. You know, there was a church in the United States that decided that they were going to embark on a new pastoral uh, campaign. And so uh, the 
minister of this mega church said to his staff, I want you to notice who is not at church on a Sunday. And then I'm going to do a pre-recorded message and we're going to send a message to them and we're going to say, hi, this is your pastor and we missed you at church and we'd love to see you next Sunday. I, I don't think that that's a good pastoral campaign at all. Because you're so busy focusing on those that aren't there. How about focusing on those that are there? And speaking to them about God and speaking to them about the devotion that should be in our hearts for one another. That's not a good pastoral campaign. John chapter 1 and verse 12. I don't know if I gave this to you, uh, Elsa B. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says, To them that received him, he gave the power to become everything God wanted you to become. God has given you a power to become everything. Everything. He's instilled that incredible power within you. You know, one of the worst things that a com leader can get on a Wednesday night is that dreaded telephone call at about 6 o'clock just as he's trying to get a, a sandwich to eat before community starts. Hi, this is a member of the community. I just want to know what we're doing at com tonight. I mean, what is he supposed to do with that? With that question. <laughs> okay, if we don't say, you know, uh, we, we got we got Francis Chan coming to preach and he's going to tell us about the archangel Gabriel and his recent encounter with Lucifer and, and he's going to come and share with us about, if we don't give him this fantastic topic to come to come about, then when he comes, he's going to be disappointed and he's going to look at us and you lied to me. I mean, it's, it's just a terrible, terrible telephone call to have. And it's like you become a, a hokey-pokey Christian. You remember that song? The hokey-pokey song? You remember that song, huh? Okay, the hokey-pokey. <laughs> in, out, in, out. <laughs> Shake it all about. Do the hokey pokey, that's what it's all about. I want to insert a little word there called, that's what the church is all about. I mean, I love you. I, I don't love you. I'm with you. No, I'm not with you. I'm behind you. No, 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 no. I'm out. And I call those kind of guys the hokey pokey Christian. In, out. They devoted themselves. That's the New Testament church. And that's the vision of Josh Jen. Authentic Christianity. When you folk come and they're a part of a church and half the congregation is missing, <laughs> I think, eh. But if the whole congregation is there, singing at the top of their voices, I think, wow, there's life here. There's spiritual activity here. I want to be a part of this church. People today are looking for churches that have life in it. 
You know, you can have a fantastic sermon. You can have good worship with fantastic musicians. But people are so aware today, especially those that are looking for church, is their life here. And that's going to be the thing that draws people in. The life of God in the midst of those people. And the foundation and the attraction of that is when people are devoted. It's become very quiet in here. The third one, I'm going to finish off with this, is allow the Holy Spirit to work. David Watson said this, it's a rather inescapable imperative. I love that. You've heard me say that many times. You can't get around this command. You can't get around this commandment. The most important thing after coming to salvation is to experience the gift of the Holy Spirit upon your life. Andrew Murray in his book, The Believer's Full Blessing of Pentecost, said this, the greatest need of the church and the thing which above all others believe believers ought to seek with one mind and with their whole hearts is to be filled with the Spirit of God. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples, Pentecost was 50 days after the crucifixion. It was, it was, it was after the Passover when Jesus was, 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 was crucified. 50 days later, Pentecost. The Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and the empowerer was let loose. Tongues of fire appeared and they began to speak with other tongues and the release of the gospel took place and on that day 3,000 people got converted. It changed those fearful people, those fearful disciples into radiant witnesses for Jesus Christ and began to change the course of human history. And we need to have the Holy Spirit in our lives. I, at the age of 15, gave my life at a Billy Graham crusade. 1973. Hmm. Two months later, I was filled with the Holy Spirit. That year was a phenomenal year for me. It was just a short time afterwards that I felt and experienced the call of God into my life. But I came to Christ. He wasn't a historical figure. He was a real living person. I came to Jesus Christ not as a historical figure, but I came to him because the life of God depended on walking with him. And when I came to Christ, it was an all-or-nothing experience. I was totally, totally sold out to Jesus Christ. And I fell in love with Him. Read the Bible, read the Gospels over and over again. I loved everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said. I loved what He had to say. I loved how He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. I mean, that story captivated me. I loved how He went past a, a fig tree. And just went, huh, and it died because it had no fruit. I loved how he went to Lazarus's tomb and said, come forth. I loved what Jesus was about. And I came into that church that was alive. 
I looked at other churches and they weren't doing much. And then I, I, I became uh, very, very interested in what a guy, John Wimber, was, was, was doing and saying. And people gather together and they sit down and they talk about the things of the gospel. They, think, they talk about the things of, of Jesus and then they talk about it and they go home. And John Wimber said, you know, I came to church. I came to church over and over again and I thought, I'm reading about the gospel. I'm reading about the things of Jesus and what Jesus is saying. And he went to one of the leaders and he said, when are we going to do it? And he said, what? He said, when are we going to do it? He said, what do you mean? He said, when are we going to do the stuff that Jesus talks about and does in the Bible? I don't know. We just preach about it on a Sunday, then we go home. He says, that's pathetic. He says, let's do it. And he spoke about doing the stuff. The stuff. And we need to be doing the stuff too. Somebody's sick. Somebody from Mossel Bay messaged me and said there's possibly going to be a couple that comes to church this morning. She's got been diagnosed this past week with cancer. I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to pray for her. Let's, let's do the stuff. Let's ask God to come and intervene into our lives. Why not? We read about it. We speak about it. We pray about it. We give to it. But we don't do it. Let's do it. And we become disillusioned as a result of that. You know, those of you before you got converted, walked with the devil. The devil let you do his stuff. So let's allow God to do his stuff to us now that we're part of his kingdom. And we do that because we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Somewhere, someplace, someone needs to start believing the Bible. And it might as well be us. We can read, we can listen, we can write, and we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you're not, then we need to get you filled with the Holy Spirit. The first century Christians were controlled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they were filled with this incredible love and they turned the world upside down. You know, to the point in Acts chapter three, where Peter and John are walking through the through, through the uh, along the street, and there's a guy. He says, uh, "Give me alms, give me some money." He's lame; he can't work, he can't walk. And Peter looks at him and says, "Silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, stand up and walk." I mean, I long to see miracles like that happen. I long to see Holy Spirit activity like that begin to take place in our midst. I long for the power of God to hit people once again in the most incredible way. You know, on the day of Pentecost in verse 12, we see that even the disciples, everybody else, continued in amazement and in awe, in great perplexity. What is this? I would love for us to come to church and to see such activity take place that we, wow, I, I, don't, I don't understand what was going on, but praise God. 
because we know that it's God at work in us. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that great preacher in London, said the greatest sin of the evangelical church is that we want to put God into a little box and tell him what he is permitted to do and what he is not permitted to do. How dare we? Let's look at a couple of verses. Psalm 85, verse 6. Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? How about Habakkuk, chapter 3 and verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. Renew them in our day. May that be our prayer. Renew them in our day, in our time. Make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then Psalm uh, uh, Isaiah 64 and verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Mm. Are you there? Are you keen? Go. Be devoted. Rely on the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. My prayer this morning, once again, is to repeat that Habakkuk passage, Lord. Lord, I have heard of your fame and I stand in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day. Renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. Lord, fill us with your spirit. Fill us with your spirit.